Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good afternoon. You're listening to Gambling with an Edge. Now here are your hosts, Bob Dancer and Richard Munchkin. Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Today is a mailbag show. Richard and I answer the questions that you send in as best as we can. First question uh, addressed to me, I suspect. How do you feel about the explosion of YouTube videos of video poker in casinos? For example, are they overall having a negative impact on pay schedules? Can I ask casino personnel to have them stop filming in the area I'm playing? I like to play the higher denomination games. Um, It's somewhat annoying. So my response to this is I've actually not seen any of these YouTube videos uh, before you wrote about it. So I went and watched a few. Most of the ones I saw had a big jackpot at the end. Clearly, it's selective posting. Most days, you do not hit a big jackpot. Um, They apparently don't post the ones where they don't lose. The play on the machines is is an expert. I suspect that uh, they'll have little impact on pay schedules. They may generate more interest in video poker, which will increase demand, and so you might see more machines out there in the future. Unclear. You can absolutely ask the casino not to have them film near you. Whether the casino will do anything about it is a totally different question. Um, Your mileage may vary. If um, If you lose a half million dollars a year, I suspect they will give you whatever you want. If you're a winning player, maybe not so much. I've thought about maybe filming my own video poker footage, but decided against it for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm not really excitable when I play. I just play fast and take what I get. If I lose, fine. If I get a royal, fine. And that doesn't make for a very exciting video. As a teaching tool, talking about each hand as it appears isn't a very effective methodology. The hands come up randomly. And for players to absorb things, you need to concentrate on one particular subject at a time, such as when to hold a three-card royal flush versus when to hold a high pair in such and such a game. You need several examples back-to-back so you can explain the differences. Uh, And random hands don't come out that way. Also, if I'm aiming the instructions for beginners, it's the same lesson over and over again. Let's say I'm playing double-double bonus and I'm dealt king-ting-seven-seven-three. 
The right play by a mile is to hold both pairs, and beginning players frequently miss this one every time it comes up. Um, do I call it out every time it shows up? Uh, or what happens when I'm dealt a heart king along with a spade jack and ten? The correct play is sometimes king jack and sometimes jack ten, depending on the other two cards. If I switch the play, this is no longer a beginner video. If I play the hands correctly without comment, will that confuse people? If I actually teach about what's going on and explain why such and such a hand is played differently than another similar hand, and then hit some big jackpots later in the session, casino management will tend to cut off my welcome faster than if I just shut up and played. So I'm probably not going to teach video poker on YouTube. And you have a face made for a podcast, Bob. Well, I disagree. I, uh, the, I think I can clean up fairly well. So yes, I look like I'm 75 years old, more or less. Although, as I've mentioned before, I can pass for 74, but, uh, I'm not that homely. So I could, uh, I could get on. I don't think that's a problem. All right, next question. Someone happened upon a video poker better variation called shockwave poker. The basic rules were the same as jacks are better, but the pay schedule didn't seem great. Um, it was 8-5, which I found out later is decent for this game. I played anyway, take my mind off counting cards for a little bit. I max bet and got a four of a kind and then proceeded to hit four queens during the shockwave round, which was 10 hands. Uh, on the shockwave round for the 10 hands, I got paid 4,000 coins. Uh, pretty sweet. Um, this is variation isn't in video poker for the intelligent beginner. Question is the payout for 1185 shockwave 99.55. Am I using the correct strategy? All right, my answer shockwave poker is a very old game. Um, if you get a four of a kind, you have 10 hands to get another. If you do, 4,000 coins. The 1185 game you mentioned is worth 98.4% when played correctly which you weren't close to doing. The 99.55 number you referred to is for the 1284 version. Using jacks or better strategy is a poor choice. Bonus Poker Deluxe is much better matched because of the single money paid for two pair. Assuming you're playing the pre-quad strategy straight up and the post-quad strategy straight up, there are many, many differences such as breaking all two pair and full houses from a hand like uh, two, three, four, six, nine, a mixed suit, you just hold the nine, usually depending on how many suits are suited with the nine. All pairs are better than four flushes and inside four card straight flushes and a pair of queens or jacks are better than an open-ended four card straight flush. There are many, many other changes as well. While it's not included in standard software, it's easy to adjust standard strategy to cover these pay schedules. All right, now let, let me try to find a question that Richard can jump in on. I'm going on two years now as a full-time AP and had the chance to meet both of you at Bet Bash this year. Can't say enough how I appreciate it. This question has surfaced among my business partner and I after a contractor 
of ours has refused to file his taxes, as we have suggested, per Russell Fox's guidance, claiming that our entire organization is illegal. The statute that he's using to claim this under the section social gambling exception, in particular, the sentence reads, professional gambling, which is defined in Colorado law as aiding or inducing another to engage in gambling with the intent to derive a profit therefrom. I think this statement can be taken grossly out of context if you just look at that one sentence, but that's what's happening. I'm not asking you to, to make a claim on what the statute means, as I know that's for an assessium to answer otherwise. My question is this, do either of you know of someone who has been charged with running a professional gambling team when the team was only operating within the confines of legal casino gambling? and all members of the team have contractually agreed to participate. Richard. So, um, no, I've never heard of anyone being charged with running a professional gambling team, but uh, I I also don't understand what the problem is. Um, If he doesn't file his taxes, uh, that's, that shouldn't be a problem for you. So if it is something like he's supposed to 1099 you for money he gave you, or he's supposed to claim a 1099 for money you gave him, something that has to do with, you know, your organization of your team. Well, as long as you declare the money, it doesn't matter. Uh, it shouldn't affect you what he does. He may run into a problem on his taxes, but but that shouldn't be a problem for you. Now, maybe there's something I'm not thinking of here that uh, that would affect you. But as I say, nothing is coming to mind. Now, the problem often when you have teams, there are going to be people who skim or steal, and they try to come up with all kinds of reasons why they justify their stealing money from you, uh, bottom line. And regardless, you know, the bottom line is that they're, they're just stealing from you and, and that's going to happen, unfortunately, but, uh, what their justification for it is, is usually irrelevant. Um, and there's not much you can do about it. But I don't know, Bob, is there any kind of tax situation you can think of where if someone else isn't filing their taxes, it's going to affect you in some way? Only in the context of once that person gets within the sights of the IRS, frequently they, the IRS agents will follow the threads where they take it and go for leads developed from that. So since that person is in business with you, so to speak, and has 1099s from you, they will look at you more closely during the audit of the other guy. And so you could become more susceptible to audit than you otherwise would. Uh, That is a hypothetical. It did happen um, 
but it has happened to me in terms of filing uh, state tax uh, income um, sales tax on book sales and they they studied my books for the last three years and determined I I did shortchange them by twenty three dollars and fourteen cents, which I, I I had a right to appeal and I decided not to. Um, but Anthony Curtis, who um, runs Huntington Press and uh, does order fulfillment for my books, got into their crosshairs because some of the sales were made by Huntington Press. And so then he got investigated because they originally were coming after me. And so they found the lead of, well, let's look at Huntington Press now. So now that's different than income tax, but that's why I bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, you know, the other thing I want to say is, um, in my experience, the people who have stolen just... You know, it's as if they can't help themselves for some reason, but they would have made so much more money. <laughs> I mean, so much more money not stealing. Uh, because eventually you're going to get found out. And, uh, you know, the most important thing you have in this business is your reputation. <laughs> and once it's once it's kind of got that kind of black mark against it, it's it's so costly. So, but it is. It, you you know you, you, as I say, I think some people just can't help themselves. They, you know, I'm sure that's true. And also, if somebody has stolen from you once. No matter how many times they swear on a stack of Bibles that they're a changed person and they will never steal from you again, it's almost always a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> trust them again. Uh, to put them to be in the position of the possible for them to steal with you again. If they have that defect that allows them to steal from you, it's going to remain. And uh, and they can swear all they want, and I suppose they can cure themselves. But I'm I'm gonna let somebody else find out about that for sure, uh, not me. Yeah. All right. Next question. Um, I like I like the storytelling in your book, Million Dollar Video Poker. Do you recommend any other good gambling books that focus on storytelling? So I got a whole list of them. Um, most blackjack books have a lot of stories in them. Uh, some that come to mind are by any by Ken Houston, Josh Axelrod's Repeat Until Rich, Colin Jones' 21st Century Card Counter, Poker, I like Ship at Holabala's, uh, I like Maria Konnikova's The Biggest Bluff, Mark Billings wrote The Ultimate Edge, Follow the Bouncing Ball. I very much like Molly's Game, by Molly Bloom and Beth Ramers lay the favorite. Richard Munchkin's Gambling Wizards begins belongs on this list. Two authors who wrote numerous 5,000 word descriptions about mostly gamblers for 
Cigar Aficionado magazine, Michael Connick and Michael Kaplan should be included. They both have collections of their stories published. This is just a partial list. Uh, these are all based on true stories. For fiction, I recommend almost anything by Walter Tevis, The Queen's Gambit, Hustler, Color Money, others. Check out any story by Damon Runyon. Uh, so many others. Modesty prevents me from suggesting sex lies in video poker. And I certainly won't mention more sex lies in video poker. Richard, do you have any books you want to put on this list? Well, that was a pretty exhaustive list. So I, I just want to say for young people, mo most young people probably have not read Damon Runyon. So I highly recommend those. He was a writer for a New York paper, and there are large compendiums of his stories that he wrote for the newspapers. And they're kind of a perfect length for the toilet. So, uh, or, or to read a story or two before bed. And they're just fantastic. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Guys and Dolls, that's based on a Damon Runyon story. Uh, when I was a teenager and became fascinated with gambling, one of the books I remember was called The Gambler's Bedside Reader, which was a collection of stories. Uh, and there are a couple of books like that, that, um, have these collections of gambling stories, some of them true, some of them not. Um, a couple of others that come to mind, there's one called, mm, you know what, I should have looked these up, but uh, it's The Professor, The Something, and The, the Suicide banker. King. The, the Banker. Is, uh, yeah, The Professor. Yeah, The Banker, The Professor, and The Suicide King, something like that. Again, I'll have the link correct in the show notes, but that was that was also really good. So anyway, I think you've got tons and tons of reading material there to last you a very long time between all those suggestions. Right. Next question. Dressed to me as a professional video poker player, how much do you normally tip on hand pace? Is it a percentage or just a flat amount? I've seen people pay an attendant a $1,000 tip on a $10,000 win on a slot machine. And I've also watched somebody won over 25000 pay the attendant $100. Well, I'm a modest tipper, uh, generally speaking, and it's frequently zero. When it is non-zero, it's often at the end of the trip, depending on the size of the total win. At the, side, at the South Point, I tip a minimum of $5 for every W2G because they're sponsors of this program. They've let me teach classes there in the past, and maybe they'll do that again in the future. The last thing I want is to be bad-mouthed by the slot attendants. And, um, during promotion where there's a lot of W2Gs being issues, I make sure that the slot attendants know I'm tipping more than usual. If they have a choice as to which jackpot they're going to pay, I want them to choose me. In general, tipping is, isn't cost-effective, and so I don't. In Nevada, they have a lot of 15 machine bars, pubs, whatever you want to call it. Um, sometimes they have very, very juicy uh, promotions, and it's just a bartender there. And that 
in that place, if it's a good play, I definitely am tipping generously. The I do not want the bartender to start reporting to his boss, you know, that dancer guy, he sure is hitting a lot of jackpots. You may want to look at his play a lot closer or something. Uh, there, one person has their eyes on you and they know pretty well what's happening. If uh, at a casino where there's lots of attendance, that's not the case. They didn't ask you about tipping, Richard, but I will. Uh, do you have any tipping advice? Well, as a card counter, my position is you just can't afford it because your edge is too small. If you're playing with a higher edge, then often your the the de- often the dealer is important and can really screw you sometimes unintentionally if you're pissing her off him or her off so when when uh i'm playing with a higher edge than card counting uh i tend to tip pretty generously because I, I need to keep the dealer in a certain state. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, if you're if you're earning more, you can afford to tip more. So, okay. And oh, and I should mention, I hear people say, "Oh, I I tip the dealer so they'll give me better penetration." These are card counters, and I rarely find that that is actually true and probably costs you more than what even if it were true it could easily cost you more than what the difference in penetration is yeah if you're betting a hundred dollars a hand and you get one more bet where you have a three percent advantage you know that's you know three dollars but you know any tip under five dollars is kind of sneered at you know putting out betting a hundred dollars and putting a one dollar bet out there looks pretty chintzy so putting a five dollar bet out there you're giving away more than you're making yeah and you can never tip enough that the dealers are going to be happy with it (laughs) if you're a card counter all right next question After the recent podcast about sports betting in the NFL opening up, I decided to grab that free money and dip my toe into the water. I did well overall, winning one long shot and losing another, but gaining free money with the losing. I did make one mistake that I need your advice on. I didn't read the fine print real carefully on one of the books I signed up for. The bonus was match up to $1,000. You had to place a bet on a team favored to win. I won that bet, received my bonus money. The bonus money comes in the form of something like casino match play. I have to put up money 50-50 to get the bonus. I went for a couple long shots because you got free money. Go with high variance. Now I'm torn about what to do with the bonus money. Should I stick with the safer bets or go for the higher variance? Is this just my tolerance level? I guess I need to put up the money and go for the EV correct? Richard, what would you say about that? Well, it kind of depends on 
what the what kind of match play it is. So if it's the kind of match play where like I mean if it's match play or free play, I guess is what I'm saying. So for example, when you get free play at the casino in video poker, if you if you bet it you you keep the 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 free play bet right you you can't cash out the free play but if you bet it and win the hand you get the free play you don't need it to be high variance but if you don't get to keep it then you do want the high variance so yeah i'm gonna go with the higher ev play which is generally my recommendation i just um if you listen to the podcast on time and you live in Nevada, actually Vegas, I guess, I just discovered that station casinos here in Las Vegas for people without a station sportsbook account, they will give you a 10% um, cash basically on up to a $5,000 bet. You do not have to make uh, the $5,000 all on one thing. You can be several bets, but if you go up to $5,000, you will get $500 onto your account, which can be cashed out. So it's only good through October 31st, which of course is, if you listen to this podcast more than a few days after it's posted, it's too late for you to do anything about it anyway. I just found out about it uh, this last weekend. And to be sure, I'm planning to take advantage of it. <laughs> if BJ Traveler was still alive, he'd have 200 people signing up for sportsbook accounts at station casinos. Yeah, well, I do have my wife signing up. And uh, so... This way, they want you to come into the casino to post the money, but then everything can be done on an app. So, uh, so there's a station casino relatively close to us. It's not hard to go in and put up the, the cash, and then she's out of the loop, and she likes it that way. There are wildfire casinos uh, all over the place also, and uh, you can deposit and withdraw at those as well. And often it, there's much less of a line to get to, you know, the sports book employee. Yeah, and I think the El Cortez downtown is also part of the station sports book system, which is surprising. They used to be part of the South, South Point system, but now they're in the station system. All right. Somebody has a scratch-off ticket system. Uh, their goal is to get as close as possible to a zero-risk system, the big picture. I have my own business in which I make a few hundred thousand dollars per year, so my taxes come out to roughly 40% a year. If I pay myself $10,000, I have to pay... 4,000 in taxes. So essentially get 6,000 in cash per 10,000 taken out of business. All right. 
if I've been I've been buying the books scratch off tickets that on average come out to 50 50 winning and losing. If I buy a $5 book of scratch off tickets for $300, I typically win back uh, 150 and lose 150. Now 50% win a 50% loss is better. Um, you know, I avoid taxes on it. Instead of having a profit with the company, I use the company profits to buy scratch-off tickets. For example, I buy $10,000 worth of scratch-offs throughout the year at gas stations with auto shops and other types of stores. I can write off as a business expense. So now I have zero profit and pay zero in taxes. So he goes on, but generally speaking, what do you think of the system? Uh, I I don't... (laughs) I don't understand this at all. I mean, so first of all, he's talking about tax fraud um, because if you have $5,000 in winning tickets, you are supposed to declare that, oh, well, he'd have $5,000 in losses, right? So yeah, I'm sorry that he doesn't, um, I mean, he can write off his losses against his gains, but how is that better? If you pay yourself $10,000, you keep 6000 But if you buy $10,000 worth of lottery tickets, you get back 5000 So you're losing money there. So I, I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand. Yes, assuming it's hard to imagine buying scratch-offs would give you $1,000 worth of pleasure to um, in order to break even with it. So... Uh, also, I don't understand. He thinks he can write off the $10,000 from his business. Uh, how, how is that a tax write-off? Well, he said he'd buy it through an auto parts store. And so, which is, uh, as you mentioned, tax fraud. So I, uh, so maybe there's something we're missing. Uh, perhaps this, listener wants to write back and clarify things, but generally speaking, neither Richard nor I uh, are thinking much of your idea. All right. Next question. Do either of you have ideas on how a couple can maximize, some may say exploit, comp systems in casinos, preferably Vegas? I haven't been to Vegas for years, but I always play blackjack and my wife will play a few slots, but not much. Would Baccarat be a good game for this? I mean, if I bet player every time and my wife bet banker and we both were getting rated, I know the outcomes can be player, banker, or tie, but the tie does not show up that much. I also know that banker only pays 95%. I don't know how to run the software simulation, um let's see how good or bad we would do i would settle for a small loss if we could get all of our food and rooms comp for playing this way for a few hours a day on our trips now my response to that is comps at table games aren't all that high casinos will recognize your strategy immediately and adjust and the amount of comps you can get from such a strategy will usually have you paying more than retail so, Richard, um, you're far more of a table game player than I am. What do you say? Yeah, so the most important thing is 
pick up and read a copy of Comp City yes. by Max Rubin, which the whole book, that is what it's about, is how to exploit the comp system. So the things that are important, first of all, uh, here's just an example of how stupid casinos are. Uh, if he bets on player and his wife bets on banker on Baccarat, the casino doesn't like that for some reason. Now, the house edge, they have over 1% on each of those bets. So it shouldn't matter to them that there's no variance involved. They're still earning 1% on each of those bet over 1% on each of those bets. But for some reason, they don't like it. Anyway, you'd be much better off sticking with blackjack, uh, assuming that you can at least play basic strategy, where you're only giving up half a percent. But the idea is not to eliminate your variance. The the idea is to think, make the casino think two things. One, that you're betting more than you actually are. And two, uh, that you're playing longer than you are. Because the comps are based on your average bet and the amount of time you play. So that book will tell you how to make the casino think you're betting more and playing longer than you are. Uh, some of the stuff in the book is out of date, but the basic principles are still sound, and and that that would be your best way forward. Next question. I play basic strategy, no counting, no AP, but I play accurately, choosing a three to two table and playing fifteen to fifty dollars minimum bet. I've been influenced by Henry Tamburin's "Take the Money and Run." And that's what I try to do. When I'm up enough, $250 or more, I walk away. When I'm in the hole too much for my comfort, I quit. I'm trying to ride the variance curve and get off when it's positive. Uh, I'm actually up over the last few years, although I've had one big win in there. I read Arnold Snyder's post on the site which says you won't win i have to ask can this work in the long run do, do you have rules for setting one enough and stop loss limits so that i'm relying on gut feel for when i walk away now for the long my answer is for long run the side that has the advantage will win blackjack for non-counters that means the house no money management techniques will change that do you have anything to add or subtract to that, Richard? Yeah. Um, anything that gets you to leave the table is good. So because the less you play, the the less you will lose in the long run. So yeah, having rules to get you to stop playing is great. Um, because the less you bet, the the less you'll lose. But as Bob said, there is no way to um, get a positive expectation in a negative through a betting scheme in a negative expectation game. Now it's time for a brief commercial break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. South Point has more than 10,000 games returning at least 99%. This is more such games than anyone else has. The November promotion is half-price Walmart gift cards. Earn and redeem 800, excuse me, 8,334 points, usually worth $25 in cash or free play, and receive a $50 Walmart gift card. Limit 10 cards per player for the month. Assuming you value Walmart gift cards as being equivalent to cash, this is effectively double points, meaning uh, 0.6% for your first 83,000 and change coin in for the month. This is for all machines, slots, and video poker. On Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, there's a $50,000 hot seat promotion. Approximately every two minutes between 7 a.m. and midnight, one lucky player will receive $100 in free play. All you have to do is be actively playing on your card. Having played at least $1 in the previous minute to be eligible. If you've not already finished your 10 Walmart cards by Thanksgiving, it's possible to double dip and be earning the Walmart cards and participating in the hot seat promotion at the same time. If you're serious about card counting, the Blackjack Apprenticeship Membership is a great way to learn, train, network, and get the resources you need to succeed. We've had quite a few guests on Gambling with an Edge who exclusively trained and got their start through Blackjack Apprenticeship. Check out the website at blackjackapprenticeship.com. They have member forums, training software, and guides to help you learn. So that's blackjackapprenticeship.com, and you will find a link in the show notes. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. And it eliminates the pop-up ads. The game of the week is Peek and Play Poker. This is a seven coins per line game where you get to see the first card off the pack of 47 unplayed cards. You must take that card, assuming you don't hold all five original ones. Let's say you're dealt ace, king, queen, jack of spades and a red four. In normal video poker, you hold all four spades. Say a prayer and hope for royal. Uh, also assume the peak card's another ace. Well, goodbye royal flush. Here you just hold the ace because you know another ace is coming. And the new ace will be paired by the first ace off the deck. Now you hope for the best. You'll have to work out the strategy on your own, but it is fairly intuitive and most people can do it. 
If you're interested in getting an edge at sports betting, then unabated.com is a great resource for you. Founded by frequent Gambling with an Edge guests, Captain Jack and Rufus Peabody, unabated.com is designed for both new and experienced sports bettors. Their real-time odds screen, tools, and calculators take a lot of guesswork out of trying to quantify your edge. There's also plenty of free education and instruction to help you along your journey to become a sharper sports better. You can currently take advantage of a seven-day free trial to decide if the premium membership at unabated.com is right for you. Back to our questions. Is there a difference in accuracy between video poker for winners and win poker? And no. For the same game and same pay schedule, the two products agree on the correct play. The big advantage win poker has is that it is currently available and video poker for winners is no longer being sold or supported. Next question. Uh, Richard Munchkin says you can send him a message on Twitter. An envelope didn't pop up for me. I don't know if I need to follow in order to send a message. I got no followers and follow no one, and I like it that way. So, Richard? Uh, yeah, I was not aware of this, but I had a setting that did did not allow you to send me a message unless um, we were following each other. Uh, I have changed that, and now you can uh, DM me even if we are not following each other. So that does not mean I answer everybody. If you're, you know, telling me about your crypto project, uh, I'm probably just going to block and delete <laughs> that message. So, yes, sir. Invitations, inviting Richard to a, uh, to sit down on a lunch that the guy gets comped and wants to pick Richard's brain for an hour for the, price of a comp lunch um do you get those Richard? i don't get those so much it seems i get a lot of people with crypto screen schemes or um women with uh only fans accounts or um uh a, a couple of touts who are telling me how good their sports picks are so huh okay all right, next question. This is for Richard. Back when you were counting cards, how many playing deviations did you regularly employ? Was it something along the lines of the illustrious 18, or did you learn dozens and dozens of indices? So when I first started, there were still lots of single and double decks where the indices are more important. And so I did learn dozens and dozens. And, you know, memorizing a few dozen index numbers is easy compared to the learning of how to count cards. So that was not an issue. But when the game moved to more uh, six-deck games, it's really not as necessary. Uh, you know, knowing what the negative index number is for hitting 15 against a deuce or something, well, you probably should have walked away from that shoe a long time ago anyway. So at that point, I switched to 
in Stanford Wong's professional blackjack, he has charts for the numbers for negative one to plus six. And I think that's a good, um, I think that's a good amount of indexes, negative one to plus six. So that's, that's what I would recommend for someone who's playing currently. All right. So here's a question for me. This listener lives in the state of Arkansas, which only has three casinos, Saracen, Oaklawn, and Southland. The latter two are Racinos. Although all of them have multi-play video poker machines, there isn't a playable video poker schedule to be found. At least that he's found, although he hasn't checked every single pay schedule on the games he doesn't play. The question, why don't smaller casinos uh, offer decent pay schedules in order to get people in the door? I know your answer is likely to be that they don't have any competition, such as exists in Vegas, but I can only imagine that if smaller casinos could advertise they have a lot of machines that pay out 99% plus, they would garner a lot more business from the public. However, none of them seem to do it, and the same can mostly be said for all of the smaller markets around us, such as Tunica, New Orleans, and Oklahoma. Your thoughts? Well, different slot directors have different philosophies on what they will earn, uh, what's going to earn them the most money. Some believe that loose pay schedules will bring in more player, helping the casino with volume. Others believe that loose pay schedules are a mistake, period. Yes, competition matters. Yes, over time, video poker pay schedules have been worsening. Many gamblers who insist on playing with an edge or not playing at all have been turning away from video poker towards other games. For me, I can still find playable video poker in some places, but I do not assume that's going to last forever. Yeah, the people running casinos just don't think with a statistical mind or a, a willingness to test and gather data you know it it would be it, it's like moneyball <laughs> you know the if you ever saw the movie moneyball or read the book uh there was huge resistance to looking at the data in baseball and basketball and all sports they were thought of as, you know, these crazy number geeks with their ideas. We've been doing this 50 years. We know what we're doing. And obviously they don't, but change is hard. It is. And uh, for some reason, most casinos are not interested in listening to players who would, who would benefit if they did loosen up pay schedules. And somehow they think we have a we're not unbiased analysts in this case. It's possible they're correct. All right. Next question. I own several of Bob's books and I'm learning double double bonus poker. I have your book with me and don't and downloaded video poker. Excuse me, download win poker on Windows. Playing double double bonus. I was dealt King Queen Jack with a queen four different suits. Uh, I thought I'd hold the queens. 
when poker said, uh, hold king, queen, jack. Now, your book said, hold the queens. So who's right here, you or them? Well, the listener didn't say what pay schedule he was talking about, but sent me a picture of the king, queen, jack of one suit, queen, three of another, on a 9-6 double-double bonus game. That's a game that pays a tick under 99% with perfect play. The correct play on the hand is indeed suited king, queen, jack. The listener also sent me a picture of the recreational strategy for this game, which comes early in the Winner's Guide to Double-Double Bonus, which it says to, on that hand to hold the pair of queens. Now, if the listener continues to read the book until he gets to the advanced strategy, he'll discover the fifth card matters. Were the three suited with a king, queen, jack, or instead of a three, were the fifth card an ace, ten, or nine, then queen, queen would be better. This, on average, it's better to hold the queens, which is why that's what's listed in the recreational strategy. There are times it's better to hold king, queen, jack, and the advanced strategy explains when that happens. Now, this varies by pay schedule. If you're playing a version where flushes return five for one instead of six for one, you always hold queen-queen over the king-queen-jack, no matter what the fifth card is. So win poker was correct, and I was correct if you keep reading long enough to get to the part where I'm discussing the actual hand you're playing. Next question. I've been having a debate with another gambler. He believes that slots and even video poker have settings that allow the casino to set the distribution of bonuses or royals to either come in clumps or to be spread out linearly. In the case of a royal flush, the frequency would still be 1 in 40,000 or whatever it normally is over billions of rounds, but it could be distributed more or less frequently in the short run. Same with slots. Uh, my argument is that Video poker, this would likely not be legal in most jurisdictions because it would not simulate a 52-card deck randomly shuffled. With slots, this violates what all my research states, that every spin is random and not based on the last spin. All right, there are no such settings, um, but sometimes it happens that jackpots come boom, 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 and then not for quite a long time. That is the nature of randomness. The problem is you don't see the pattern until after it's over. If you get two jackpots in short order, you have no idea whether the third one is coming quickly or not. It might, of course, but it probably won't. But if it does happen, some players will see this as proof the jackpots are clumped together. So, casinos can't choose whether they have jackpots clumped or not, but... There is no way you're going to prove this to your friend. Yeah, this comes up in blackjack as well. Uh, it's it's very hard for humans to understand randomness, and they keep trying to come up with explanations for things. Um, and and in blackjack, what happens is people blame it on the shuffling machines, and they've decided that the shuffling machines are clumping the cards so that all the high cards are clumped together and all the low card, you know, but yeah, it's, 
It's just human nature to not understand what random actually looks like. Our last question of the day came a few weeks ago. And it said, I was curious if Bob just forgot to ask for recommendations at the end of last week's show, or if it was a time crunch. I really love your show, and both of you do a great job. I've taken to heart many of your past recommendations, including many of Bob's book recommendation. I've almost finished the entire Daniel Silva series, and many of Richard's TV recommendation have now become addicted to alone. One that stands out for me was a recent recommendation for Richard for the Tim Ferriss interview with Ed Thorpe. What an amazing man with such an interesting story. Listening to him really affected me with his sense of contentment and his advice on doing what you love and not strictly following the money. As I approach middle age, it's good to hear these things from people I admire and hold high. He sounded absolutely great and mentally sharp for being 90 years old. His workout regimen makes me feel weak and lazy, and I'm challenged to start back keeping myself in better shape. I want to thank Bob and Richard for this. All right. Now, Richard and I both take recommendations seriously. Sometimes, though, we tape three shows in two days and run out of current recommendations. Sometimes Richard recommends a television series, but he can't, but it can take him weeks or months to go through the entire series. I often recommend books. I read a lot, but not all of the books turn out to be recommendable. Both of us keep doing the same things over and over again, so we don't always have something new to recommend. And sometimes we run out of time, and sometimes we agree beforehand. Our recommendations aren't all that great this week. Let's skip it. So um, with that said... It's now time for our recommendations. Uh, Richard. Yeah, I, I just want to say I, I agree with Bob. I, I don't want to recommend something that, that's like, oh, I ate in this restaurant this week and it was meh. <laughs> so, um, and given that, I, I don't have a recommended this week because, you know, I also read a lot and um, I've been very busy recently, so I'm not really watching anything new. I haven't watched the latest Game of Thrones episode, which is the finale of the season. Um, and so uh, I haven't really been watching any TV. And I did read one. I, I averaged probably at least a book a week, sometimes two. But the book I read this week was meh, so I don't want to recommend that. Uh so yeah, I and I didn't eat anywhere new. So, so I I don't have anything to recommend this week. Yeah, and I'm going to recommend. I'm going to double dip on this. Um, I've recently read two of Annie Duke's books. One's called Quit, which talks about advice about when to quit, and one's called uh, Thinking in Bets. And she's. Uh, she's actually an amazing woman. We, we know her as a poker player, but she retired in 10 years ago and has a pretty significant academic credentials, including PhD work at Columbia University. And so these are both, uh, how to succeed in life kind of books, uh, with thinking processes. My blog this week 
is on that. And my blog next week will be too, uh, both about her books and different aspects that I think about things differently related to gambling uh, after reading her books than I did before. So if, if it changes my mind on gambling stuff, it is um, something I'm definitely going to recommend. I have sent her a request to uh, be a guest on her show to talk in more depth about these books. We'll see what happens. I think my I think she was the guest of the very first episode I did with you, Bob, which was in 2011. Could be. Uh, her her book at that time was Des- Decide to Play Better Poker or something like that. It was a yeah. uh, something like that. Uh, the These books are not about poker per se, although there's lots of poker uh, examples in them. Lots of gambling examples of various sorts. Uh, but quitting, part of it is... Uh, she talks about you know when you quit for the day, which is related to one of the questions we had today. And I actually changed my mind about quitting procedures after reading her books than I had before. I my previous position was as long as I have the advantage and have sufficient bankroll and am playing alertly, you know, there's no reason to quit. And Annie's advice was, she says for her, she finds that uh, after six to eight hours of playing poker in a day, she's not as sharp as she was. And so she has a rule that when she gets to six hours, she seriously thinks about quitting because at that time, she is not in the best position to make a judgment. So if she makes a rule beforehand, it works. So the default would be for her to quit after six hours. There can be reasons why she would override that. But in the heat of the moment, players tend not to be the best decision maker. If they have rules beforehand, it makes sense. Now, this is true for me, too. I'm 75 years old. Six hours is a um, it's about as long as I can play alertly. Um 15 years ago, I could play 12-hour sessions easily enough, but no longer. So um, so I now have instituted that rule. After six hours, up or down, I'm leaving, unless there's overwhelming reason for me to stay, which there might be. It might be I need X number of points before midnight in order to get some huge benefit, and it's going to take me a little bit longer to get it. Well, okay, I'm going to keep playing. But under normal circumstances, I now set a time limit where I didn't before I read her books. All right. So uh, we're out of questions for today. Uh, please keep sending them in. You can send them at gamblingwithanedge at gmail.com. You can post them on the, on the question area, our comment area after the we post our articles. You can send Richard an email or a Twitter now that he's increased access on that. Uh, and we will do the best we can. So thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of Royal Flushes, everybody. Good day. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.